morning, everyone. I'd love to have some kind of cute little saying about the snow, uh, but we didn't get any snow. This is just kind of like, just the dust. This isn't even real snow. Um, but good morning and welcome, everyone. Very excited about this morning because we are in chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. And if you know anything about the book of Ecclesiastes, you know that we are in the last chapter today. And as we start this morning, we're going to say our little, quick little, not memory verse, but a little saying that I hope sticks with you for a long time um, when someone says, oh, that's wise, or how did you get so wise, or how do I gain wisdom? You are able to tell them exactly. Hold, hold on. Here, wisdom is correctly applied, biblical truth. Is it truth or knowledge? Knowledge. Who, who did this slide? Oh, okay. No, it is correctly, wisdom is correctly applied, biblical knowledge. But if in the end, knowledge and truth in this context are relatively the same. So I will not fault you any points if a year from now you say, oh, you know what, Tim? Wisdom is correctly applied, biblical truth. I'll still accept you. I'll still accept you. Um, but we are looking at um, something that... Pretty much, well, I guarantee you, none of you will ever have another opportunity to experience besides this morning. The whole book of Ecclesiastes guarantee you it has a real undertone of being a bummer of a book, being that it continually talks about the vanity, the meaninglessness, the uselessness of everything the world tries to acquire unto themselves, whether it is stuff whether it is power, whether it is prestige, whether it is looks, whether it is living long, whether it is family and education, all of those things, ultimately, Solomon says, and God puts a stamp upon it saying, none of this stuff that the world strives for has any value or meaning in the end. It might make you fun, it might make you popular, it might make you incredibly wealthy in this world, but all of that, when you die accomplishes nothing because you will be forgotten and the stuff that you held was precious in your life will be sold and donated and tossed and thrown away. And there will be a day when no one, no one on the face of this earth knows who you are. And so if you are striving to accomplish greatness in this world, however the world wants to define greatness and success and prestige, if that is what you're after, then the words of Solomon are incredibly brutal to your ego because living after the God of this world and denying the one true God, you will be miserable. Not just in this life, if you're honest with yourself, but you will be miserable in the life to come. But for those who know God, those who serve him and honor him and are brought into fellowship with him as our father, not just a God, but our father, through the work of Jesus Christ, this world still has a lot of meaningless, useless, vain things to acquire that we have to keep in check. And while we live in this world, we are not of this world. This is not our final home and destiny. 
And to make it through this world, Solomon will tell us and has told us for 11 chapters so far, you need to have your priorities straightened. Your priority needs to be God first and foremost. In all things, God. In all your emotions, check it with God. In all your beliefs, check it with God. In all your ambitions and dreams, check it with God. Make sure this word, his truth, his knowledge is leading and guiding you in all things because if there's another thing taking his place, I guarantee you, it'll fail you. It'll fail you miserably. And so I mentioned real quick as I started that, this is going to be the only sermon you hear on this topic for the rest of your life because we're actually having a funeral service for you this morning. And we're usually, I mean, I don't think we've ever, the person has ever heard the funeral servant for themselves. They always wonder, oh, what's going to be said at my funeral? What's going to, who's going to be there? Well, you see who's going to be there. Just look around. You see who's here for you this morning. And um, however corny this seems at the moment, give me some time. And I'll show you that it's not really all that corny after all, what we're talking about and how Solomon describes us growing old and dying. So today we gather together to remember, insert your name, uh, and while this is a difficult day for all of us, each passing day will help with the raw pain of losing them. And our message this morning is going to come from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verses 1 through 14. And we're going to take this in two chunks. The first chunk we're going to take is verse 1 through verse 8. And then verse 9 through verse 14 is going to be our second encouragement jumping off stone. But what I want to do first, as we look at the first several verses, is I actually want to read these verses out of the good news version. And I know all of a sudden there's a people, people cringing going, what's this good news version you're talking about? I've heard a lot about that, and it's not very literal. It is accurate, but it's not incredibly literal. Uh, why would you decide to read out of the good news version this morning, Tim? We're supposed to use the ESV or another good translation. Well, I do so because in this particular chapter, um, the imagery is sometimes lost on the literalness. The ESV is a very good literal translation, but it's not exploding and expanding upon some of the poetic things that are happening here. In fact, for whatever reason, the ESV tells us it's not poetry. If you look at how it's written, it's written as paragraphs, but it actually in the Hebrew is poetic in nature. And so I think it's good to have just a little sense of some of the dynamic of the language that's taking place. And then we'll look at the ESV and we'll understand it, but I want to read it, first of all, the first eight verses from the good news. It says, so, remember your creator. This is at the pinnacle. This, this leads the entire chapter. So remember your creator. While you are still young, before those dismal days and years come when you will say, I don't enjoy life anymore. That when the light of the sun, the moon, and the stars will grow dim for you, and the rain clouds will never pass away, when your arms that have protected you will tremble, and your legs, which were strong, now will grow weak. Your teeth will be too few to chew your food, and your eyes too dim to see clearly. 
Your ears will be deaf to the noise of the street, and you will be able to barely hear the mill as it grinds or the music as it plays. But even the song of a bird will wake you up in the from your sleep. You will be afraid of high places now, and walking will be dangerous. Your hair will turn white, and you will hardly be able to drag yourself along, and all desire to accomplish great things will be gone. We are going to our final resting place, and then there will be mourning in the streets, weeping, crying. The silver chain will snap, the golden lamp will fall and break, the rope at the well will break, and the water jar will be shattered. Our bodies will return to the dust of the earth, and the breath of life will go back to God who gave it to us. Useless, useless, said the philosopher, it is all useless. Can anyone identify with some of the things that Solomon said there? Yeah. It's a little bit too close to home at times. So let's go through this verse by verse and see how through this text and this imagery of growing old and dying actually can bring us encouragement as believers. Because if this was all that was said about you, I don't even know we'd want to have a Christian funeral for you. Right? Why would you even do something like this in a church? Why would you even identify yourself as a believer of God if this indeed was all there was to your life? Well, for some, this is the entirety of their life. He starts out by telling us, and now I'm reading out of the ESV, so if you're following along in the YouVersion Bible app, you've got exactly the text that we're going through. It says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. There is a healthy, good, beautiful thing that occurs when we remember our creator. And he's talking about God, the one who not just created us, but actually has demands upon our life. It is a good thing from an early age to have that relationship, to understand and learn and, and, and bring these truths and knowledge into our hearts from a young age. And why is it a good thing to learn about these things from a young age? You know that as we grow older, it's harder and harder to learn. When once I could read a book and totally understand its entire content and go back and, and, and dive into it and argue with it and, and contemplate it and meditate upon it, it takes me two or three times to read that same thing now. Plus, if I know my creator from the days of my youth, that means I don't go through this time in my life, which is so common, where I rebel against God and totally forget who he is, and then later in life come to a knowledge of him. It is far better to come to a knowledge of who our creator is, our redeemer, our God, our savior, at a young age, to lead and guide and protect us while we still have that energy and zeal and ability to contemplate him more fully and to understand his nuances of his word in a greater way. And he tells us to do this memory work, to remember him in the days of our youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. I think growing old is probably one of the most courageous, brave things people can do. 
It's hard. It is not for the weak. It is not for the, the weak-minded or the one who wants to get lazy and give up because you still have the same amount of work and energy to expel, but you have less of it. But it's still required of you to maintain those relationships, to maintain daily activity, to maintain life, to maintain relationships. And that can be draining. It's not easy growing old. It's not just for, it is for the brave to grow old. But he tells us, those are evil days when you lack that strength. And listen to how he describes that, lacking the strength and growing old in these next verses. You have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light of the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. This is that idea of as you grow older, what happens to your eyesight? Has it gotten better over time? Your eyesight, has it gotten better over time? What happens to it over time? Now, mine happened when I was about 10 years old. My eyes gave out on me. And guess what? Every couple years, I got to go in and got to get new prescriptions because my eyes are falling apart. And a real quick perusal, I can see that most of you have eyeglasses, and I'd imagine even some of those that don't probably have contacts. Am I right? Yes. Why? Because things are hard to see. And Solomon is saying that same time, they're evil days. It is destructive days. It is decaying days that are coming upon us. Days in which I can no longer really discern the moon, the stars, the sun. I can't see clearly anymore. It's just blurry. That's normal. What you're going through is normal. It's not great, but it's normal. He continues and says in verse 3, in the day that the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, this idea that there will be a day when you become not only, not only is it more difficult for you to see, but it's going to be more difficult for you to pick things up. Your strength is going to fail you. Where once you were able to move all this and just be a little sore in the morning the next day. Now, sometimes you get out of a chair too fast and the next day you're like, oh my goodness, I need to practice getting out of a chair. God, I don't know what happened to my back, my legs, my knees. I'm walking and my knees are stopping. How does that happen? Well, it happens because we're growing old. And we don't, don't like to talk about that. We don't like to think about that. We don't like to know where this ends because I know exactly where this ends, growing old. Do you know where it ends? Do you know the end of the story about what happens when you grow old? Solomon already said it. You die. It's a sign that you are on the process of dying. Not only do you grow weak, not only were the keepers of the house once strong, but now they tremble and the strong men who were mighty are now bent over and hurting and painful. But the grinders cease because they are few. The people who are making food. They're talking about a food mill, those big stones that they would grind. The grinding ceases and stops because there's not many of them left. They're dying. So every profession that you see, guess what? People are dying in those professions. 
And we see that all the time, especially in entertainment and sports. You read something and go, oh my, I didn't know they died. I remember them when I was a little kid, and they died. Entertainers, sportsmen, happens all the time, all around us. That's normal. That's going to happen. It happens to all of us. So in that day, when we're growing old, not only do we become weak, not only does our eyesight fail us, but all of a sudden the people around us are dying. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. There's just fewer people. Less and less people that we know and recognize. Less and less people that we have an attachment to. I had, um, I had the honor of knowing a lady who was... I think she was 102 at the time, and she died when she was 103. But I happened to know her when she was in her hundreds. Um, I knew her for many years, but I remember when she got to 100 and 102, we had a, a real heart-to-heart conversation, and because she was, she knew she was going to be dying soon <laughs> at 102. And I remember her telling me this really. I'll tell you that. I'll tell you what she told me. Um, Tim, or actually it was Reverend Meisler. Uh, I don't know anyone anymore. And I said, oh, you know me. And she goes, I know people, but everyone that I grew up with are dead. My children are dead. Half of my grandchildren are dead. I have no cousins left. I have no aunts or uncles left. I have no one that I went to school with alive. The people I loved, they're dead. I don't know anyone. And that has stuck with me for 15 years. She knew people, but she was absolutely lonely. She had lots of great, great nieces and nephews, lots of, I think she probably had uh, great, great, great grandchildren. I mean, she had a lot of family, family, but she only knew them from birthday parties, pictures, and holiday events. She didn't grow up with any of them, and none of them really knew her. That was just great grandma or something. She said, it's lonely, Tim, being this old. You might think it's neat. I still have my health. I still have my wits about me, but it is lonely being 102 years old. It's exactly what Solomon's talking about. All of those people who would be surrounding you, looking into your windows, engaging with you, they're gone. That's a striking fact of growing old to a ripe old age. You're not going to know any of us. None of us are going to be there. You're going to be by yourself. Part of growing old. Verse 4. And the doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. This is that idea that you don't hear things. Not only does your eyesight go bad, but your hearing goes bad. And not only that, at the drop of a hat, something in the middle of the night's going to wake you up and you're not going to be able to get back to sleep. Wow. Solomon, 
How did you know what it was like to be me growing old? That half the time I don't hear a conversation. If you're talking to me and I have this glassy look in my eyes and I'm kind of looking past you, you need to say, Tim, bite the bullet and get hearing aids because I know you can't hear a word I'm saying. And I'll go, what? Go, exactly. And I tell you, if it is windy while I'm trying to sleep, and you know in Pueblo West, it's windy every time I try to go to sleep, I hear everything outside. I hear the tumbleweed coming over the fence going, what was that? Oh, yeah, tumbleweed. And it takes me a half an hour to get back to sleep. I'm like, a tumbleweed woke me up? How? But then, of course, I can sleep through, you know, babies crying and stuff like that, and that's, that's not a problem. But I'm like, I cannot believe how the smallest thing can keep me awake and hard to fall asleep. That's going to happen. It is happening. It will happen to all of us. As we grow old, our bodies change, not for the better, but they decay for weakness' sake. He continues. It says in verse 5, they are afraid also of what is high. So all of a sudden, all this courage you had, and I know there's going to be a day when I no longer want to skydive. I know that's going to happen one day. There's going to be a day when I walk up to that and I go, mm, no, that's too far today. Same distance as it was when I was younger, but now all of a sudden I'm terrified of heights. That's normal. That's going to happen. The terrors are in the way. So this is that idea of as I walk, <laughs> there's terrors in my way. There's uncertainty in my way. I remember taking, <laughs> I don't even remember what job it was, but I had to take a work safety class. So I took a work safety class, and they said, you know, there's a lot of stairs in the building, and what you need to do is you need to have a hand on the guardrail as you walk down the steps. And I thought, what do you mean? I don't need no hand on a stair. Well, I walk down steps. I'm pretty good at it. I've been doing it all my life. You know what I do when I go down steps now? I hold on to that guardrail. You know why? I'm growing old. And things that were once not slippery are slippery. And that depth perception, they change the distance of the steps. I'm out of here. I do not mind holding on to the handrail. That dependence upon the handrail, that dependence upon a wheelchair, that dependence upon a cane, that dependence upon a walker generally becomes ours to own as we grow older. It's a sign that there are terrors in our way that we need protecting from, that we need help overcoming. And I think here's one of the more beautiful imageries that Solomon uses in verse 5. Not only are we sometimes now more prone to being afraid of heights, afraid of walking and the path in front of us, but the almond trees blossom. This is, this is literal, exactly what Solomon says. The almond, uh, almond trees blossom. What in the world would that have to do with growing old until you see an orchard of blooming almond trees? And do you know what you see? White. White as far as your eyes can see. This is poetically bringing us to the point that in time, as you grow old enough, and all these things are going to happen to you, if you still have hair, do you know what's going to happen to that hair? 
it's going to be white. It's going to be white or gray or some shade of that, however that might be. And I would encourage you that you should wear that hair with pride as long as the Lord gives it to you. Why not show the world that God has blessed you for 60, 70, I know some people maybe 30 years, but God has blessed you with the longevity of life and opportunities to get to know your creator. Be excited about that. It is okay to go gray and white. It is normal. It is natural. It is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign that you are going through exactly the stage of life that God has given you. And be happy about that. Joyous about that. Praise about that. Because there are some of us who probably will not get gray hair on the top of their head because God has chosen to remove it. Sometimes due to age, sometimes it happens when you're fairly young. But the almond trees blossom and the grasshopper drags itself along. Have you ever seen a grasshopper dragging itself along by one leg? if you didn't pull it off. Have you ever seen that? No, it's because when a grasshopper gets to the point of being so aged that it can't hop anymore and do what it's designed to do, it dies. But Solomon says, not only will you be like that almond tree orchard with blossoms of white hair, but it'll be hard for you to crawl. I'm like, oh, Solomon. Why do you have to be so personal, so right, and it hurts so much that I can't avoid this? You might be able to delay it for a season, being strong and viral and, and just, you know, exercise and eat right. You may be able to delay it, but I know that even the most fit of all people die. They die. They grow old and weak. And in natural cases, they die. The desire fails and falls. Yeah, you know what? Maybe when I was young, I'd love to go do that, but there's no way I'm starting a business at 70. No way I'm going to start that at 75. No way can I start that. No way can I reinvent this. No, your energy is depleted. Even your interest in it depletes. Because, all of this is happening because man is going to his eternal home. You're dying. All of this is happening because as you grow older, in time, in growing older, you will die. It's not avoidable. And the mourners go into the streets People will weep and cry about you. And before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain and the wheel broken at the cistern, talking about all those things that were stable and secure in your life are now decaying and breaking apart, so is your life. So is your very physical life. And the dust... I think Solomon is definitely thinking of um, Genesis chapter 3 at this point, that the verses that most people use at a funeral, dust to dust, ashes to ashes, you return to the ground that you were taken from. Solomon is saying exactly what Moses said when he wrote Genesis chapter 3, 
and the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the Spirit returns to the God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Without the rest of this chapter, you could be left with this as your whole existence, as the whole point of your life. The only thing that is guaranteed and certain is that you will grow old, and that oldness and growing old will be challenging and painful and filled with weakness. And in the end, you die, you enter into eternity either into the rest of the Lord or into the wrath of the Lord. And if that is all that your life is, then Solomon is right to say, it's meaningless. It's meaningless. God gave you a life and you did not live it for his glory. It is meaningless. God gave you breath that day and you did not acknowledge him? Meaningless. God blessed you, putting you in a nation that is incredibly blessed by God and you were given everything you needed to love him and serve him without persecution or prosecution and you squandered it. Meaningless life, even if you become president of the United States, even if you own a billion-dollar company, even if you retire at 55 with millions of dollars in the bank, it is meaningless and useless. Even if you become a strong man or a model or you have a rich family history with lots of kids and grandkids who always come over for holidays, useless if that is all it is. Meaningless, vain Pointless, if that is all your life amounts to and accomplishes. Because you and the saint alike will grow old and weak and weak and weak. And all of those that you knew will die and pass away. And you will be left with yourself before the creator on the day he calls us to eternity. And if all you have is the stuff of this life that you've accomplished and that you are hanging your assurance on, then Solomon is right to warn you. Vanity of vanities. Meaningless, useless, pointless. You squandered a life living for yourself and stuff. And you will have nothing in the end to look to. So in the last few verses, verses 9 through verse 14, Solomon ends the entire conversation he's had with you and with those who live in the world without God throughout the entire book of Ecclesiastes, and he summarizes it like this. He says, besides being wise, the preacher also taught people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. Because he wrote most of the book of Proverbs that we have. So all we're being told is, hey, he took a lot of care in putting all these things together. The preacher sought to find words of delight, and upright he wrote words of truth. 
I don't know how well Solomon wrote words of delight. I've read through the book of Ecclesiastes. You've heard sermons through the book of Ecclesiastes. Are these words of delight? They seem to be words of warning, words of sorrow, but yet they summarize it as words of delight because they point us to the solution to vanity and meaningless living for yourself, to God. He's taken a lot of time to write out all of this knowledge and truth. Verse 11, the words of the wise, those who are correctly applying biblical knowledge, those words of the wise are like goads or pointed sticks and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings that they are given by one shepherd. So the idea is that these words of truth, these words of knowledge that come from God, that Solomon has written down, for us to meditate upon and think about and pray through and and actively apply to our lives, they're like pointed sticks to guide us along the way. And they are like firmly nailed in place, fixed in place so they can't be lost. They are solid, they are immovable, they are truth, they will not change. They are there for our protection. They are there for our encouragement. They are there for our correction. Then he says in verse 12, so these words are fixed for us. In verse 12, my son, such gentleness, such kindness, such immediate personalism with us, my son, beware of anything besides these. Of the making of books there is no end, and much study is the weariness of flesh. He tells us there are many different paths you can go on. There is so much that can fill your mind and your attention, so much education you can have, but if you do not have the simple things of living a life that is pleasing to God, it is worthless, meaningless, pointless, vain. That does not mean education is wrong. But I'll tell you, if education is the goal of your life and you think that is success, it's a failure. Education is not a success. Living before God, holy before him, forgiven by him, loving him, forgiving the others, that is success in life. Not the initials after your name or the title before it. That's not success. Success is being humble before your God. Success is loving and forgiving Success is giving of yourself while the other person doesn't deserve it. Success is keeping your ways according to the word. Because there will always be another book, there will always be another saying, there will always be another cute little quote to think about, a cute little meme to look at, that you go, oh yeah, that, that, the def- definition of life. We, we humble ourselves before the word of God and we apply this to our life. Not the cute little saying here or there. I'm reminded of a story that um, uh, Charles Spurgeon told. Now, Charles Spurgeon was a pastor, preacher, primarily a preacher in London during the mid to late 1800s and um, pretty well renowned uh, even into this day. And he was approached by a young man who was super excited to meet Spurgeon. He said, Spurgeon, uh, Pastor Spurgeon, Pastor Spurgeon, have you read, and then he blurted out some book that had just been published, have you read this? This has changed my life. I, I can't imagine anything better than this book. I mean, it's brand new. Have you had a chance to read this yet, uh, Pastor Spurgeon? 
And Spurgeon looked at him and said, my son, in my library, I have thousands of years of knowledge. I have the venerable dead that are waiting for me. Why would I waste my time on the trifle of today? He was referring to the fact that he read the church fathers and the reformers and the Puritans that had lived two to three hundred years before him as I haven't even gotten through the good stuff yet. Why would I spend my time on the stuff that's just being regurgitated today when I have the stuff way back then that is full of wisdom and value and gold nuggets? You see, because the end of writing books will never happen. There will always be someone who wants to say something differently and new and fancy and maybe in, in different language that we would kind of go, yeah, they got it right. I mean, I know it seems somewhat simplified, but this is the only book you will ever need to live a happy, satisfied, successful life in the eyes of God. You don't need a different book. You don't need a different video to watch. You don't even need a different pastor to listen to. You don't even need me to listen to. You've got God's word and the Holy Spirit. And if you have that as your basis, you will have great success in your life. Then he ends it and says in the last two verses, this is the end of the matter. All has been heard. So this is the end game. After all is said and done, here is Solomon's point. Now you might say, why did it take him 12 chapters to get to the point? Just give me the point. He said all of that to get you to the point of realizing this flesh and this life have nothing to give you in the end. Nothing. So if you are living for the things of this world as your God, then they will disappoint you continuously. This is the point. This is the end of the matter. After all has been said and done, fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Be in that right relationship with him. Be in that relationship, creator, creature, sovereign, servant. Be in that right relationship with him. Worship, worshiper. Lord, citizen. Father, daughter, son. Have that right relationship with him and keep his commandments. If you love me, Jesus says, what will you do? If you love Jesus, what will you do? Keep my commandments. Love his word. Live his word. Honor his word. Invest his word to your thoughts, to your memory, to your life. His words will not mislead you, misguide you. It may not make you the most popular. It might, might not bring you success in this world. But it will make you right with him. And it will make you right with one another as you love, serve, and forgive. Verse 14 gives us that little bit of warning. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. 
can this be said of your life? Are you living in such a way that you know God will reveal everything you've thought about, every ill-spoken word about someone, every painful thought you've had about someone, every time you wanted revenge on someone, every time you wanted them cut down, every time you wanted to be better than them, and all you've done is fought it. Every time you've been envy and jealous, every time you said, oh, I wish my spouse was like this, every time God is going to reveal that one day. And you are either going to have a blank book of accusations that are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ so that no accusation can be laid against you. Or God will use that time before your throne to ask you to answer for every sin you've committed. Which will it be? If we take the words and heeding of Solomon, we're going to get a right relationship with God, fear him, and we're going to live in light of his word by rightly applying biblical knowledge in everything we do. There is safety in that. There is joy in that. There is worship in that. There is comfort in that. We will all face it one day. How are you going to face it? Let me pray as the band comes up. Father, as we think about our own immortality and the effects of normal life in growing old, thank you that Solomon was so expressive and interesting in the way he explained it. But we also thank you, Father, that in Christ we can be right with you. Help us, Father, to live in a way that walks fearfully before you in that relationship and walks diligently according to your word in holiness. In Jesus' name, all of God's people said, amen.